We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Jewish tradition through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Today we are talking about the new Disney Plus series in the Star Wars universe, Obi-Wan Kenobi, starring Ewan McGregor, returning for his iconic role, playing off another person's iconic role, Sir Alec Guinness from the original Star Wars trilogy. Ewan McGregor plays Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequel trilogy. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about the series Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, real quick, I will say that Ewan McGregor has aged... Uh, amazingly well. Um, I want to know what happens in the next decade of the Star Wars saga <laughs> that right. he ages so poorly that he ends up looking like Alec Guinness uh, but by the time we get to episode four. Um, among among some of the continuity challenges that we experience <laughs> in this series, yes. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a six-part limited series event, uh, as Disney Plus calls it, uh, and it picks up after about 10 years after the events of episode three, we are about 10 years before the events of episode four. Uh, and it talks about uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in hiding. Um, as we know that uh, episode three ended with him giving uh, Leia to uh, the Organa family for her to uh, be raised by the Imperial Senator um, and to be known as Princess Leia and giving Luke protected him to his uh, uncle Owen on Tatooine. And uh, Ben is really there. Don't forget about Aunt Beru. That is true. Uh, Ben is there too, as he goes by, Obi-Wan goes by Ben now. He's there on Tatooine and hiding to um, really uh, watch over Luke when he's ready to be trained as a Jedi. Uh, We have the Inquisitors, which were really introduced uh, in... Uh, the Rebels, Star Wars Rebels series, uh, the animated series, and they are there hunting down the last Jedi uh, that seem to have fled after uh, Order 66 was executed, um, and they are in hiding, and they're trying to search them down, including Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's in hiding until uh, Jimmy Smith comes and finds him because Leia has been kidnapped um, by by uh, really an imperial uh, smugglers, gangsters, um, trying to do the Inquisitor's dirty work and, and the dirty work of the Inquisitor third sister. And the story is really Kenobi trying to rescue Leia. Um, this is where we are. We're about halfway through the series and, and trying to uh, save her while at the same time he's wrestling with uh, his own um, grief. Uh, There's a lot of flashbacks to the prequel trilogy. He feels like he has failed 
Anakin Skywalker, Uncle Owen reminds him of that. He feels like that Anakin uh, becoming, uh, really, we don't, he at first doesn't know that he's alive. He thinks he died and he, he gave into to the Sith powers uh, and died as a result. He thinks that's his fault when he finds out that he is still alive. Uh, there is a confrontation between Vader and, and Kenobi. Um, and, and it is not the rematch that we initially envision. Um, and uh, uh, it's really a story, I think, of grief, of second guessing himself. He calls out a lot to Liam Neeson's uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, who uh, died in, in uh, episode one in The Phantom Menace. And it's really a story, I think, of him trying to do chuva for what he thinks are his own failures. I'm just not sure they are his own failures. Uh, I think that the show itself uh, makes me like the prequel trilogy a lot more. The prequel trilogy, if you remember, got panned by critics, by Star Wars fandom alike. Uh, my kids happen to love it because it is more of a childish introduction to the star wars universe uh, my kids love phantom menace or at least they did when they were younger um my my kids are all about Re revenge of the sith that's pretty much the only star wars they really want to watch other than the shows now fascinating fascinating yeah. mike what did you think uh so i'm really enjoying obi-wan kenobi i will say that i am in the you know decided minority of Star Wars fandom that uh, that that enjoyed the prequel trilogy. Uh, I think that that's because you know first of all, as you know we've discussed in in the show, I'm not all that discerning. You know, give me give me space wizards uh, and uh, whiz bang you know uh, uh, dog fights and you know lightsaber battles, and I'm good. Uh, but the, you know the prequel trilogy came out. I think at a right time for me personally in my Star Wars fandom, I had grown up, you know, kind of watching the original trilogy on VHS or on TV. Uh, and uh, I, you know, was kind of primed for the introduction of more CGI into the Star Wars universe with the, uh, re the special edition re-releases in the theaters, which was kind of my first introduction to seeing Star Wars on the big screen. So that primed my appetite for more Star Wars. And I, you know, I was among the people who, you know, were kind of, waiting in line to go see the phantom menace when it came out it was it was super exciting I, I will say that i left phantom menace feeling a little bit a little bit disappointed by it but i was still you know hooked and intrigued uh and you know i liked attack of clones i liked revenge of the sith obviously there's a lot of problems in those movies i recognize that even then uh the romance in attack of the clones is just awful and uh which is supposed to be really central to anakin's journey really awful. Um, I don't blame that necessarily on Hayden Christensen. Uh, Natalie Portman does more to sell it, but uh, I think that the, that the, uh, uh, that the scripts were, were poorly written. You know, uh, George Lucas did well in the original trilogy to hand off the writing and directing responsibilities to other people while he, you know, kind of oversaw the whole universe. Uh, and, and I think, I think there, were, there was a change in storyline uh, in uh, Attack of the Clones, right? The, the bad guy in Attack of the Clones um, uh, who, whose name is escaping me? Um, Count Dooku. Count Dooku. I don't believe was the original intended bad guy, and you could sort of see that play out. Uh, Who's supposed to be? There, there are rumors that it was supposed to be somebody else, uh, and, and that it was sort of rewritten, and, and there were um, reshoots that make him the bad guy. So I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, although I do love Christopher Lee and Christopher Lee in that role. Um, I could see that all. Uh, Skills will not be determined by our skill with the 
with the force, but to, no, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's leave that in. Uh, any, so, uh, uh, and Revenge of the Sith, you know, obviously, again, it has problems. There's there's muddled messages about what makes Anakin turn to the dark side. Um, a lot of scenery chewing by Ian McDiarmid as uh, as uh, Palpatine turning into the Emperor. Whatever problems with the with the with the prequel trilogy, but I still have a very big soft spot for them. Um, like you said, I think that the uh, first, the animated series Clone Wars and Rebels um, does a really good job of making the prequel trilogy more important. Uh, Dave Filoni, who's the creative force behind those animated series, uh, and now really one of the dominant creative forces behind this new Star Wars era, um, clearly has a soft spot for the prequels too, believes that they are very important in, uh, in the um, uh, series that Disney Plus has done uh, kind of going behind the scenes of these new uh, shows. There's this one uh, sequence where Dave Filoni is talking about the duel of the fates, the fight between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn on one hand and uh, Darth Maul on the other hand at the end of uh, The Phantom Menace um, as being so crucially important um, to set up the stakes for this battle for Anakin's soul. He speaks very passionately about that. So he, he clearly thinks that these uh, that that we should not underestimate the importance of the story being told in the prequels. And I think that that's fair. And I think that that's true. Sure. I think George Lucas does set up a, a really powerful arc, continues to build in the universe in the prequel trilogy. Um, and now we're, we're getting, you know, kind of even more expansion in that universe in telling the story about how, you know, the galaxy transitions from uh, Republic to Empire that you, you know, see really uh, the... Uh, at its height in uh, in Star Wars A New Hope and then Empire Strikes Back. Um, and so in Obi-Wan Kenobi, you see that transition really taking hold. Um, you see a little bit more about how the Jedi are are, are hunted and, and wiped out. You see that also in Star Wars Rebels. Um, and I think that that's really compelling uh, to, to see, you know, Darth Vader really, lead, you know, growing into his uh, role and his power, um, and uh, he's he's an incredibly. Uh, uh, I think that the that the shows and the new era of Star Wars movies, including the the um, animated series, have done a lot both to show Anakin's turn to Darth Vader, uh, and also um, uh, have made Darth Vader an even more. Uh, compelling and ruthless villain than sure. uh, terrifying villain than he was in the original trilogy. He, he, you know, I think he kind of became self parody a little bit in the original trilogy, and then you know was softened extremely uh, by the uh, by by the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, but here in Obi Wan Kenobi, we see a ruthless, uh, brutal, and angry Darth Vader. He's the same Darth Vader that we see in uh, at the end of. Rogue One, um, which was easily the best part of that movie, um, that that really kind of shows, you know, a, a Darth Vader at the height of his young powers and and really kind of rampaging uh, through the galaxy in an effort to consolidate power. So um, I, I love that about this. Ewan McGregor is incredibly welcome. I think he's really selling this journey of Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, again, you know, to take on Ben. Kenobi as the alias to go into hiding as, you know, the empire's public enemy number one, or maybe number two behind Yoda. 
not a great alias, I think. You're not not great hiding, but you know what? What are you gonna do? Um, that was already present in the original Star Wars uh, series, so uh, we we can we can forgive that a little bit. But I think Ewan McGregor's great. Um, I think uh, Moses Ingram playing uh, third sister Riva, uh, who is the she's not the Grand Inquisitor yet, but she's yes. the at the moment the lead Inquisitor who is you know relentlessly hunting down Obi Wan Kenobi because of her personal ambition. I think she is great. Uh, just as a side note, uh, chef's kiss on uh, her parents using Moses as a girl's name. Love it. Um, that's not you know part of the story here, but I, I just wanted to mention that I have my appreciation for that. Uh, and uh, seeing a, a focus on a young Leia is just really great. Um, and, and you know I see so much of uh, Natalie Portman's uh, uh, Padme and uh, Carrie Fisher's Leia in her character, uh, kind of mixing those up as an sure. homage to both of those performances, um, I, I think is I think is really great. And 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 this young actress uh, who's playing Leia, young Leia, is is just um, is just great. It's great to see Jimmy Smith again as Bail Organa. Um, so I'm I'm here for this whole thing. I've, I've been really really enjoying it. Um, let's let's talk a little bit, Jesse, about some of the themes that that the show highlights you you mentioned before you know this dynamic of uh teacher and student that's at the core of yeah. this journey and and obi-wan's uh wrestling with his feelings of regret and failure and guilt um about his inability to prevent anakin's turn to the dark side his inability to prevent the rise of the empire you know he's he's living in a lot of ways with the same kind of guilt that luke is living with uh, that we learn in um, in the Last Jedi, right. Obi Wan in some ways really kind of sees himself as the Last Jedi right now. But you know, he even though there's a little bit of a muddled message about you know him talking to Ben uh, to to Owen about um, about that he'll eventually Luke, train. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I we'll have to see where that plays out. I'm not sure it, it will because um, uh, it seems to me that Obi Wan is kind of like Luke in Last Jedi. Like I came. You know, I, I came to Tatooine to make sure that Luke is safe and to die because uh, because I am clearly not good for anything. And right. The when, the, and, and, and when there's a Jedi on the run, I think it's in episode two that finds Obi-Wan um, and, and he's like, is that you? Uh, you know, you have to help me. And uh, uh, Ewan McGregor's Kenobi says, I'm not a Jedi anymore. Right, that's know, not me anymore. Right, right. The, the Jedi lost. Right. Uh, right. When we think that episode four is so hopeful, um, right? It, it's all about this this fight against this rebel alliance, right? Against the the dark side, against the Empire. Um, when in reality, uh, the story begins with the good feeling defeated. Uh, right. and, and the leaders of the 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 fights to do good feeling like they have no fight left in them. Right. And, and you know, you th this is really, you know, before uh, the, you know, consolidation, I guess, in Star Wars timeline. This is before really the, the origins of the Rebel Alliance. Maybe we'll see some of that uh, in the um, in, in this series. You know, who knows? Saul Guerrero might show up. Uh, we never know. Uh, but uh, but this is really, you know, um, the darkest time for those who loved the old Republic, who were aligned with the old Republic. Um, this is, you know, the, the, the rise and consolidation of 
the empire, it, it reminds me a little bit, as you're saying that, Jesse, of, you know, this period in Jewish history that I imagine was was incredibly challenging for our ancestors after the um, uh, after the, uh, the the destruction of the Second Temple, um, the uh, the brutal end to the Jewish revolt against Rome uh, and the consolidation of imperial power over uh, the Judean community, the, the really destruction of ancient Judaism. And our rabbinic ancestors were kind of like forced into this uh, dilemma that that Obi-Wan is in, in and, and the other Jedi and other, you know, kind of uh, Republic, re Republican, um, uh, those with Republican affinities in in the Star Wars world right, to say, OK, you know, what what do we do now? Right. Um, we can just kind of join with, you can't beat them, join them and just become Romans, you know, become, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And so a lot of folks, of course, in the Star Wars universe are just aligning themselves with the empire. It's, it's, it's their meal ticket. And right? we see that in Obi-Wan, we see that in Star Wars Rebels and, and on and on. And right, we see we that, have, we, we, we see that with Bal Organa and, and I guess it's his relative, um, who he, he's talking to and he's saying the empire has been good for our pocketbooks. Right. Right. And, you know, Bail Organa is still like operating under this, I guess, delusion that he has a that that there is a Senate that's worth, you know, mentioning uh, and that he has a role to play. But it's really just a shadow of democracy. Right. So, you know, Leia uh, in A New Hope, uh, you know, says that she's on a mission for the Imperial Senate. And Darth Vader says, you know, the, the, the Senate is inconsequential. I don't remember the exact line, but the Senate is inconsequential anymore. Right? So that eventually happens. Uh, but Bail Organa is still operating under this delusion that um, that this old Republican institution matters, even though uh, tyranny has already really taken hold. Right? And then you have people like uh, like Obi-Wan, who, you know, who, who kind of like, you know, the uh, the 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 Essenes, right, in that in that era, that just kind of re retreat to the desert, you know, maybe like hold on to aspects of their tradition, but but you know, try to like dissociate from the whole world, right? And then you have some people that try to reform what Judaism was so that it can endure and survive uh, in in this new uh, context, in this new era, right? And so we see that among some of the other Jedi, you know, wrestling with different paths, right? Do we do we uh, rethink what it means to be a force wielder in this uh, era? Do we just, you know, work to preserve what was lost uh, and to consolidate it to, you know, help people survive so that we can, you know, organize and fight later on? Um, well, well, it's, it's more than that, right? These Jedi have to be in hiding, right? They are continuing um, to to practice the the light side in secrets uh, out of fear for their own safety. Uh, right. You, you think about uh, the, the, the plague that, that killed Rabbi Kiva's students yeah. um, uh, because they continue to practice Judaism. Uh, I did a, uh, I, I named a, a new baby uh, just yesterday. And there's a custom at the beginning of a, a Brit Milah or a Simchapat that you light candles. And one of the many reasons you do so is because that was a, a sign to other Jews that at different points, uh, in Jewish history, when uh, a, a Brit Milah was prohibited, uh, that Jews would still light candles as a sign to tell other Jewish families that a child was being named in that house in secret, carrying on mm. Jewish tradition, but had to do so in secret. And so the question is, do you have to carry on our teachings in secret and pass it on? It, it's like the, right, we, we hear this uh, of those that, that were... Um, 
um, right, conversos uh, that, that had different um, traditions and rituals that they didn't even realize were necessarily uh, because they come from a, a, a Jewish lineage. Right. You know, so I, I mentioned that ancient history. Right. But uh, but the, really, there's a more uh, not modern, but, uh, you know, pre-modern uh, history there, too, which is directly referenced in this uh, series and in you know Star Wars Rebels that came before it of, you know, an inquisition against the Jedi. Darth Vader being, you know, the, the leader of this inquisition. He's, I guess, the Ferdinand and Isabella or maybe he's Isabella and the emperor's Ferdinand or vice versa, and the inquisitors, right? There's a grand inquisitor and a whole inquisition hunting down uh, those who are uh, loyal to the light side of the force, right? In the same way that, uh, that, that you know, Imperial Spain um, was, you know, hunting down and, uh, and, and killing those who remain loyal to, uh, to, to Jewish tradition. Absolutely. You know, I, I wonder, I want to go back to the question that you asked uh, initially, Mike, about the relationship between student and teacher. Um, and and I, I wonder, right, what is the role of right, rabbi as teacher? Uh, what is our responsibility to students? This is true for all teachers. Uh, and um, ultimately, when somebody chooses a path in life for themselves, um, is that because of what they have been taught, in spite of what they have been taught, we know this as parents, that all we can do as parents is instill within our children um, ethics and values, uh, messages that we believe to be true and hope that they hold true for them. Um, but that is all that we can do, um, right? We, we can't live their lives for them. Uh, I, I think so much of this show is about Obi-Wan feeling like Anakin's actions are his fault. And what he did, he did the best that he could do as a teacher, but it's ultimately, he was surrounded by other voices, right? He was surrounded by Palpatine who influenced him, who who clouded his judgment as well. We could argue that he had Yetzer Tov and Yetzer Ra, good and evil inclination within him, like we all do. uh, And he was thus easily swayed one way instead of the other. Right. So, you know, and I think that, you know, this, is again an area where where uh, the prequel trilogy is it, you know it's it's better to it's possible to appreciate it a little bit more because they show really you know the, there's a lot of criticism that in Phantom Menace that they start Darth Vader's story when he's a young boy in in that way uh, and uh, I think that that was actually beneficial because it showed that there were seeds of Anakin's turn you know even before he met Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, and uh, and uh, that that is, I think, a reality that you know every parent and every teacher has to uh, live with um, is that you know so much of the outcome of our children, our students, um, is 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 determined by forces well beyond our control, right? So uh, there, uh, there there have been studies uh, lately that there's almost no parenting decision that matters except for one, which is, you know, the village that you raise your child in, what's the environment, the overall environment that you raise your child in, what are the kind of dominant influences on on your child's development, that matters. It's the nature Uh, versus nurture argument. Right. Um, So there there is a nurture argument to be made, but it's it's bigger than than certainly any one parenting decision, any one uh, lesson a teacher gives, Right, any body of knowledge that a child you know masters or doesn't master, right? That so much of our of our children's um, uh, outcomes 
uh, are determined by their nature, by their by their uh, genetics, by their biology, by their by their brain chemistry, um, which is not exactly in any uh, in any uh, parents or teachers or mentors. Uh, control. They did experiments where they, you know, found twins that were separated at birth, uh, and uh, and and you know, realized that they turned out pretty much identical uh, to one another. Right? They like even you know named pets the same thing. Uh, so what that shows is that um, you know the the parents obviously were different parents, uh, and you know the environments were obviously different environments, but. Uh, but the but the kids basically still turned out the same no matter what. So I think that that is you know Obi Wan clearly doesn't see that right. Clearly sees that Anakin's turn and the you know and ultimately the the empire the empire's rise is at least partially a result to his failures as a teacher. He says that in Revenge of the Sith, right? He says I've you know uh, Anakin says uh, from my perspective the Jedi are evil. Uh, and and Obi Wan says, you know, then I failed you, uh, and uh, and and you know, I'm not so. Uh, Obi Wan clearly was not a great teacher. Uh, the episode uh, two and three of the prequel trilogy work hard to show that it was at best a mismatch between Anakin and Obi Wan. Um, so there was a a, a piece of that. Uh, Obi Wan was maybe made a teacher before he was ready because of the death of Qui Gon. We see that in episode. Uh, one right uh, he tells him that he needs to train anakin and he himself w- w- was just a padawan at that time right you know so he says i'm ready to face the trials and oh and yoda says you know our own counsel we will keep on who is ready right and then maybe obi-wan wasn't ready um uh, and so he you know he he's he, he does live with some mistakes but i you know the i think that the prequel trilogy shows that anakin's turn was likely a foregone conclusion. Um, and that it's possible, just as possible, that Obi-Wan's teaching is what facilitates Darth Vader's chuva, such as it is, in episode six in Return of the Jedi, right? So um, so you know you could just as easily argue, you know, that and Obi-Wan could just as easily argue to himself uh, that you know that his that it was his failure that made Anakin Darth Vader. But he could just as easily argue that it was his success that made Darth Vader turn back to Anakin later on. Yeah, I wonder also if Darth Vader, not not to jump ahead to to that scene, spoiler alert at the end of Return of the Jedi, would Darth Vader- (laughs) I think if if you have not seen the original trilogy, (laughs) even you're you're probably listening to the wrong podcast right now. Um, Would Darth Vader have done that same tshuva if it wasn't Luke um, that that he was fighting? I, I don't know. I mean, it was the same. He, he right. He was the same person who a movie before sliced off Luke's hand, uh, and, and so right. It was serious chuva he he had to do. Um, I I wonder was the chuva because uh, towards the end of his life he realized that this is his own son uh, that that he um, uh, didn't have the opportunity. He missed a whole opportunity to nurture him um in in the right way right the ways of, of torah of derek harris the ways of the force um i don't know i i don't know but also 
Luke was trained by Obi-Wan and Yoda, right? So in, in many ways, you know, Luke's growing into who he became as a young man and as a Jedi was, you know, was at least in part the influence of those people too. So, you know, so you could say, Darth Vader says in, in episode six, um, you know, that, uh, that, that he's going to get, you know, if he doesn't let, if Luke doesn't turn to the dark side, then he'll get Leia to turn to the dark side. And then Obi-Wan's failure will be complete. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that actually the opposite happens, right. That, that Obi-Wan's success is complete because um, eventually Darth Vader comes to realize that, uh, that, that he doesn't have to be who he is. Now, I think it's an open question. Nerdy Jews like us have talked about this a lot. You know, does what Darth Vader does at the end of Return of the Jedi count as Chuva? I would say maybe partially, but he's sort of killed a lot of people that he can't, you know, he can't really atone for the, for all the crimes that he's committed. Uh, But he certainly decides later on that he doesn't want to be anymore who he had become. So there's at least a partial Chuva there. Uh, And, uh, and, and that is, I think, um, a you know a, a lesson that Obi Wan teaches him you know teaches him early on right so uh, you, you know Anakin comes from uh, very humble origins comes from enslavement right uh, um, you know uh, uh, is the is the product of of influences Anakin can, continues to tell him like you can change right I, I think a lot uh, of the a narrative in the Talmud of uh, a, a rabbi named Elisha Benabuya, who turns to the dark side from the rabbinic perspective, who, who kind of leaves the rabbinic Jewish community and, in their terms, you know, joins the evil culture, the Targuta Ra'ah, the you know, basically just becomes Roman uh, and and and, uh, and and a Jewish heretic. Uh, and his, you know, the the roles are kind of reversed because it's his student. Rebbe Mayer in that story who stays with him and says to him, like, you are never too far gone, right? You too can turn around, right? Alicia Benabuya says, you know, what I understand God saying to me is that everybody has the capability of tshuva except for me. And Rebbe Mayer says to him, that's not true. Everybody has the possibility of tshuva. Don't believe it, right? And I think that there is Obi-Wan does say that, says it to Luke and says it to, uh, to, to uh, Anakin. Uh, and it's only at the end that Anakin or that Darth Vader comes to recognize it. But I do think that that's an yes, element. But he doesn't. But, but the, what's so fascinating about that is he doesn't act that way in this series. Right. Like, I, I agree with that. Obi-Wan doesn't. Yeah. Our job, like as rabbis, our job, we create entry points. You're right. You're never too far removed from finding meaning in Jewish community and in Jewish life. Our job is to create as many entry points as possible for you to find your way in. Obi-Wan, at least initially in this series, is fully defeated. Um, right. That that there is no chuva because there is no redemption. Uh, the fight is over and, and, and they lost. Um, there is big, and part of that could be because he doesn't realize initially that Anakin is still alive. Um, but even, you know, when you have that initial, um, duel between Vader and, and Kenobi in this show, it's not a come do chuva. It's, it's almost like I want revenge experience. Well, right. But I think that, uh, that in that scene, you know, I, I think about what Vader's anger is about, because I think Obi-Wan represents 
to him what he could have become. And the, and, and the only way on some level to justify who he did become is to destroy Obi-Wan. Uh, and, and I think that that's, you know, kind of the, the, the root of his anger. Like he should be angry at the emperor uh, because the emperor has said to him, you know, the, the, the reason you turned to the dark side in the first place, in your anger, you killed her, right? And so he should have said about that, oh, like, like what have I done, right? But what he, what he does is he becomes angry at, uh, at, at Obi-Wan uh, for, uh, for, you know, for, for his sense of, you know, what, first of all, what he could have become, which is this, you know, a, a light side wielding Jedi. Um, and also, you know, for to blame his becoming Darth Vader on Obi-Wan's failure um, and therefore, you know, his uh, killing Padme on Obi-Wan's failure. That's because he sees, because because in his vision, right, he sees Obi-Wan with Padme as she's giving birth, as she's dying, and he blames him for that death. Right. Um, ready to blow your mind. Um, and then I have another thought I want to bring up. Is the Scarlet Witch in... Dr. Strange of the Multiverse of Madness, where she uh, is willing to do anything and and really in, in WandaVision, including be evil in order to bring Vision, in order to bring her, her, her fake children back. Is that the same as Darth Vader becoming Darth Vader or Anakin becoming Darth Vader because Padme is lost because he doesn't know what happens to his children? Uh, okay, so two things to say about that. First, spoiler alert, haven't seen uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness yet. Second, <laughs> second I'll, I'll forgive you for that. Uh, second, um, that had echoes of Patton Oswalt in uh, Parks and Rec talking about how we can you know, bring the Star Wars and Marvel universes together. Uh, I suspect in the, star, in the Marvel multiverse, one of the galaxies that's out there is the Star Wars galaxy. So who knows? <laughs> I, I hope so. That will be the very last movie Disney will make will be a Star Wars Marvel crossover. And then Disney Studios will, will uh, close up shop. Right. But, you know, that, that'll, that'll bring Disney full circle here. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I think that I think that that's certainly, um, you know, possible. I mean, what you know, what's 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 going on here, both for Anakin and for Obi-Wan, you know, is 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 how they're processing their their uh, their grief. Right. And, and Obi-Wan processes his grief um, as, you know, resignation. Right. He's he's defeated. Uh, and Anakin processes his grief as rage. Uh, and 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 those are both uh, aspects of the of the grief cycle. Uh, and, uh, and they're both you know, appropriate, uh, you know, experiences, uh, appropriate feelings to have in grief. They're, they're certainly natural. You know, I think that some some are, are healthier uh, than others or there are ways to act on them that, that are healthier than others. I think that they're, you know, both Anakin and Obi-Wan are not um, particularly reflective about their, their, their grief. Um, but I think going back to your original question, right, about teachers, about parents, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm a city boy, so this analogy may not work, but my sense is in a lot of ways, you know, parents and teachers are, are a lot like farmers. You know, we can plant seeds, we can till the soil, right? We can plant seeds, we can water the crops, we can, you know, pull weeds, we can do, you know, we can do all those things. Um, but there's a reason why uh, our tradition, Jewish tradition, 
which is, you know, in its origins, primarily agricultural, um, is so, uh, is so uh, rooted in and expressive of the role of faith in that process of agriculture. So much of the farmer's work is out of the farmer's hands. Farmer can't control when the rain falls, can't control necessarily the, the exact quality of the soil, the quality of the seed, right? Um, you know, the, the farmer can do what the farmer can, uh, but that but that's limited and the rest yeah. is beyond the farmer's control. Um, in uh, writing about education, an essay called, I think it's called On Education, R- Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote that the job of the Jewish educator is to be like a baby nurse, right? We nurse somebody's uh, Jewish soul and provide them nourishment so that they can then live on their own uh, and right that they, they can nurture themselves uh, and provide nourishment for themselves. But he also says that a Jewish educator uh, is so different than somebody who teaches uh, arithmetic or English, where you can assess what a child has learned through an exam, through an essay, the Jewish educator is only able to assess what a child has learned a generation after you've taught them when they are an adult, once they have children of their own, once they have a home and it's uh, they figure out what they want their Jewish home to look like. And so, right, the, the Obi-Wan in each of us uh, was training the young Anakin and the Hayden Christensen Anakin. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it was only when Anakin became a person for himself, uh, an independent being, that he was able to, we were able to determine how successful we were. And it's not that Obi-Wan failed, Obi-Wan did the best that he could. Um, mm-hmm. But but that we, the, the tour that we teach, um, have a different way of impacting people negatively and positively. And we need to understand and accept that as educators. Right. Uh, you know, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the series on more of a meta level, um, you know, because we, we, we brought up a couple of times about how the, you know, the, the animated series and the these new Disney Plus series uh, have have done a lot of work to uh, you could call it retconning or just you know improving the quality of the prequels or improving the role of the prequels in, in our memory. Uh, you know, it strikes me that, uh, that there's a lot of parallels to Jewish tradition in that too, that you know that the, that the role of Midrash in, in, in relation to studying Torah does precisely that. It takes stories that kind of on their surface are a little bit, you know, more inscrutable, maybe not even all that interesting, uh, and makes them substantially more important, more interesting. My my father-in-law, uh, Rabbi Neil Rose, talks about the 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 way you measure a good midrash is if you can put it back into the story, and it makes the story more compelling, more interesting, make more sense for having had that midrash. Uh, and sometimes we remember the midrashic stories even better than we remember the actual Torah stories themselves, right? Every uh, Hebrew school kid knows the story of Abraham smashing his father's idols uh, and thinks that that's part of, often thinks that that's or, part or, right, of or the, Moses the eating Genesis. the coal in his mouth instead of the, the, the shiny jewels. Right. Right. So is, is that, is, is that how these uh, series are, are playing for you? Is that how Obi-Wan's playing for you? Yeah, I, I think, well, it, it depends what we call canon or, or not. And that's where it's weird. Like these shows are called canon, 
Right. right? These shows are, are, are very much canon. Uh, but that's the sort of the, the beauty of, of retconning that we look at things after the fact that don't make sense. And part of our job is to make them uh, make sense, right? Dave Filoni is making a, a larger Star Wars universe, but he's taking the, the aspects of that universe that people know and are aware of, but need to find meaning in, right? I, I think Rogue One, Rogue One does that perfectly. Rogue One is a standalone story and flows seamlessly literally the last scene of road one is the first scene of episode four um and it explains how we got to the beginning of episode four uh it's it's filling in the blanks Uh, i think it was rabbi nachman of Bratslav who who taught that it's our job we have torah torah is the black letters uh, on the on the scroll on the parchment and it's our job to interpret the white surrounding that right it's our job to to write the space in between Right. Well, there's there's light side and dark side vibes to that uh, as as well, right? Uh, but I think you're right. Uh, and and what you're pointing out there is, you know, the first of all, the way the way that uh, tradition and Torah really function for the community that um, that that ascribes to it uh, importance and sanctity, right? So the the casual reader of Torah. Right, the, the 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 person who's not already a fanboy, right, of Torah, will will go and look at Torah and say like, this is not a very good book, right? Uh, and uh, you can make an argument. I, I think that the Torah is a very good book. Uh, our colleague Rabbi David Kasher at uh, Ikar has a podcast called The Best Book Ever, where he unpacks the weekly Torah portion. Uh, you could make an argument that it is the best book ever, but I, I would say, you know, and I encounter a lot of modern people who, you know, uh, uh, take the take the Bible at face value, read it and say, you know, I, 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 I've read much better books than this, right? And so you well, can it depends look at- if we're starting from uh, Vayikra or Bereshi. Maybe, uh, and, and, and you can look at the prequels and say, these are not very good movies, right? But if you, if you, you know, buy into uh, the, the, the narrative, if you kind of ascribe sanctity to it, right? Then you can do like Dave Filoni and say, you know, I, I'm going to operate with the assumption that this is important. And here's how I'm going to explain it in a way that reveals its importance and reveals its meaning. Um, Otherwise, it could very well, for many people, just be meaningless. And I think that that we do that with Torah, too. If we, you know, we, we, we look at you know, Genesis, right? Uh, God calls to Abraham and says, you know, go forth from your father's land, from your, from your uh, parents' house, from, to, you know, from, the, from the land you know to the land that I will show you. And the casual reader of that might say, okay, can I get a little more plot here? You know, it's not all that interesting. Like, there's, there's no, this is, who wrote this, right? Uh, but those who look at that text and say, God is trying to reveal something meaningful and significant here, then we can look at that text and say, this is about the the, the spiritual journey. This is about uh, striking out on your own. This is about discovering the world for yourself, whatever it is that we want to say about it. Um, we can do that, but it's about our orientation to the text, not necessarily about the text itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal of Torah, I, I think, is for us to find our own meaning in Torah. Torah is subjective, and sometimes we need to interpret Torah to find meaning in it, um, right? The different midrashim, if that helps us find meaning in Torah, then um, 
it's done its job, I, I think. Um, and, and I want to uh, jump off on this point a little bit too, you know, the, because uh, sometimes this community of fandom in Star Wars or in Torah uh, uh, can harvest a lot of meaning uh, and, you know, produce a lot of good and a lot of value. And, and sometimes that culture can be a little bit toxic. And, and uh, this has come up now about the Obi-Wan series that uh, Moses Ingram, who plays third sister, the Inquisitor, uh, Riva, uh, there was a pretty toxic uh, backlash against her uh, casting uh, and her performance among a section of Star Wars fandom, which was- White men. Uh, white men, right? Uh, uh, probably of a certain age, um, which was uh, thankfully very forcefully uh, shouted down by Disney and by Ewan McGregor and, and by others. But this is not the first instance of that kind of, you know, toxic element of Star Wars fandom. Kelly Marie Tran in episode right. eight. Oh, right. Kelly Marie Tran was, was bullied basically uh, out of Star Wars. John Boyega uh, was, was bullied for uh, his role in, uh, in, uh, in, in the sequel trilogy. Uh, you know, this has happened uh, over and over again uh, in, um, in in the Star Wars universe. Uh, fortunately, this time, Disney uh, has been fighting, pushing back against it. Uh, they did not really seem to do that much with Kelly Marie Tran, with John Boyega, which uh, arguably resulted in Disney caving into that fan pressure uh, and essentially writing Kelly Marie Tran out of uh, episode nine, where she should have played, I think, a more central role and did in Colin Trevorrow's um, original script. So, so the question is, like, is this something, is there Torah here? Uh, I, I think, um, right, the, the accusation that these right, white men of a certain age sling at, at Star Wars, at Marvel, that, oh, Disney is woke now and it's all about diversity. It's about uh, why are they putting in As all though these, that's a bad thing. Right. LGBTQ characters, right? And part of it is that it's important that even and especially in the fantasy, uh, in, in the... Um, uh, worlds that we create the the make-believe worlds that we are still able to see ourselves um and the truth is if people really understood the story of star wars uh, it's about celebrating diversity right it, the, the the original trilogy is a draconian tyrant leading an empire who believes that there is one way to be um, and if you do not look this way, if you do not act in this way, if you are not this way, then there is no place for you in this world. And the Rebel Alliance is all about celebrating diversity. It may not have, right, even if we look at the uh, uh, initial trilogy, it may not have been diversity based on sexual orientation or gender identity or color of your skin, but look at all the species of, of the galaxy far, far away that were part of that rebel alliance. It was not white men. It was lots of different alien creatures. Uh, it's, it's about celebrating diversity, and it's weird to me. It's super weird that a white man who, who's probably living in his parents' basement is way more comfortable with some puppet alien costume uh than they are with somebody who is a person of color 
And, and I think it speaks more about their lack of understanding of true Torah than anything else. Right. Well, I think that that, you know, you mentioned Torah there. I think that that happens in, in uh, religious communities and, and in particular in the Jewish uh, community and Jewish tradition too. You have people that are so wedded, uh, so invested in the received forms of the tradition, right, are, are really kind of, you know, textual fundamentalists in, in some way uh, that, that, they, that they miss the forest for the trees. They don't see the, the, the message of inclusion, of justice, of compassion um, that is present within, within those stories, right? And instead uh, uh, prioritizes the, the structure and the form of those stories uh, or of, um, or of the, 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 the laws and practices that reflect them. And that was in some ways, this is gonna be a little bit heretical, but that was in some ways um, Jesus's critique of uh, rabbinic Judaism, or not of rabbinic Judaism, but of the of the temple Judaism of its of his time, that that it you know kind of uh, sacrificed the 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 spirit for the body of what the meaning of of Torah was, and I think that uh, that insight um, is you know very is is pretty universal among religious. I think that you know now those who claim to be followers of Jesus, many of them. Uh, would, I, I would say, you know, uh, be uh, implicated in that same criticism uh, that, 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 the, that, you know, that Jesus made of the Judaism of his time, but it's present in Judaism too, right? That, uh, that, that people are, you know, so invested in, um, in, a, in like a, a particular structure of what the tradition is as they've received it, that they uh, ignore the spirit of the tradition in the first place? What made it special? Absolutely, I think it's a reminder that Torah is subjective. Um, and the question is, if it is subjective, right? So that we, we, we're told Shivim Panim La Torah, right? That there are 70 faces of Torah. This is the beauty of Midrash. This is a beauty that we can interpret Torah um, how we see fit. Um, the question then is, what do you want Torah to be, right? Like, do you want Torah to be, uh, one in which you're not celebrating diversity or do you want Torah to be one in which we celebrate diversity? Do you want Torah to be one in which uh, you are telling somebody that there's something wrong with them because of who they love or how they love? Or do you want Torah to be one in which somebody is celebrated as being made in God's image? Uh, I don't want to be a rabbi of a faith that um, demeans people right? That tells people that they are less than. I want to, to be a rabbi of a community that believes in a Torah and believes in a God uh, that celebrates all of humanity as made in God's image. And is that a choice? Sure. But I much rather have that be my Torah than a Torah of bigotry, uh, a Torah that is exclusionary, a Torah that is filled with hate, even if people are unwilling to accept that it's hateful on the subconscious level. Right, I'm, I'm really influenced in that. Uh, that really expresses to me uh, something that one of my mentors, Rabbi Brad Artson, uh, teaches. He even expressed this uh, as his credo, uh, which he still tries to live by. He says that the two core assertions of traditional Judaism, assertions which I cannot prove, but upon which I stake my life. The first axiom is that God is loving, compassionate, wise, and passionate about justice. The second is that the Torah and rabbinic tradition is the preeminent vehicle for Jews to articulate a sense of God's will. 
I refuse to read halacha or the Torah in such a way that it makes God seem cruel, nor will I sever the intimate connection between God's will and God's Torah. God is just, and halacha has to embody God's love and justice. Um, from these two points, an agenda of ritual profundity, compassion, and social justice emerges organically and traditionally. In other words, right, that, uh, that, that you can choose which lens you want to use in, in looking at the Torah. And if you refuse to read the Torah in such a way that, that, gives that, that would give lie to um, God being just and compassionate, uh, then you'll come out with a tradition that embodies justice and compassion, right? But if you are willing to read the Torah in a, a, a way that allows for cruelty and oppression, that's what you'll harvest from it. That goes back to our, our question about, you know, about what teachers and, and students do, right? That, uh, that, you know, that you do you know, on some level get out what you put in, right? So, you know, if you're a teacher that is, you know, cruel and, uh, and, and, and harsh, chances are that's also what you will harvest or you'll, you'll be more likely to reap that harvest. Um, whereas if you, you know, offer an education of, of love and compassion and understanding, um, you're more likely to get that result in turn. Not guaranteed, but more likely. Absolutely. Well, we have we have a few more episodes left of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus. Let us know what you think. You know, the problem with a show like this is we know where the story goes. So I don't think there will be any shocking um, revelations at the end of the series, although I would love for there to be. Right. We know that Obi-Wan ends up as Ben Kenobi, Allegheny on Tatooine still at the beginning of episode four. We know that Leia is rescued and saved uh, and um, ends up being really the, this face of the Rebel Alliance at the beginning of episode four. Uh, we know that Luke ends up becoming a Jedi at the beginning of episode four. So it'll be very interesting to see what this story is able to tell us to satisfy Star Wars fandom since it's not revealing anything new and revolutionary. Right, but that, that, ain't, that in itself it reflects on what we're talking about. I, I know how the Torah ends. Right, but it doesn't necessarily mean that each time I revisit it and each time I, I learn those stories, um, that I don't harvest uh, new meaning, that I don't enjoy them. And I think sure. that Star Wars, you know, living in in that world, can show uh, that just because you know how the story ends doesn't mean there isn't something new to take from it. Ben Bagbag teaches right that we turn it and turn it for everything is in it, be that Torah or. Uh, Lucas Films. Amen. Well, let us know what you think of Obi-Wan and this new generation of Star Wars. Uh, until then, may the force be with you. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am his young Padawan, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Take care, everyone.